2: Hey folks, Mark Ellis here from Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong and you are about to walk down memory lane and it's a holiday sort of stroll because we're gonna be replaying the Love Actually episode of the podcast. Now, Love Actually is a beloved Christmas classic To some, to others, it's a very problematic, uh, maybe whimsical, you can get through some, you can stomach other parts, but everybody gets in their feelings about this particular movie. I think it's taken the mantle from the diehard, is it a Christmas movie debate, and now it's Love Actually, is it a good movie or not? And that's what this podcast is all about. So enjoy our thoughts at the time of Love Actually. Hey friends of the podcast and welcome to all of our new listeners. This is Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I'm Mark Ellis, stand-up comic and Rotten Tomatoes correspondent. And I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an editor at Rotten Tomatoes where I cover independent
1: film and awards and where I will defend the movie Love Actually until my dying breath.
2: Okay, well, if we're defending Love Actually, then I'll tell you what we're going to do, Jacqueline, because, look, we promised our listeners last week that we were going to do How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version this week, but we just decided to not get Grinchy with it quite yet. We didn't want to talk about The Who's and Dr. Seuss until we really got to the the crux of the Christmas conversation seemingly every year. Is Love Actually a Fresh Movie? Now, according to the Tomato Meter, it is... With both the tomato meter and the audience score. It's 64% on the tomato meter. Audience score is even better at 72%. And so we had to postpone the Grinch. I'm sure he's not gonna be upset about it because we are talking about love actually today. And we have not won. Not No, 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 no. This is Love Actually, folks. It's a movie about like 38 different characters, so we needed two special guests to come up here and talk with myself and Jacqueline about this film. It's kind of like an episode of Versus, Jacqueline. So before we bring those special guests on, can you just give all of us a refresher as to what Love Actually is about, and I'm so happy you're the one that has to do this today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Love Actually is about a group of British-slash-UK folks that are five weeks away from Christmas. And when we open, we believe that these are individual stories about love. The opening shot is at Heathrow Airport, where Richard Curtis said that he found that love is actually everywhere. Some of the vignettes that we get to see are Hugh Grant as the Prime Minister, uh, wooing a very Monica Linsky type uh catering assistant we also have liam neeson who is a fresh widower with his young stepson who is also in love with the lovely joanna from his school we have colin firth being colin firth and being lovely in that and we have laura linney one of the few americans in the piece well being adorable and laura linney again this is all about folks finding love in unexpected places and you get a little bill nye half naked yeah, you do. Oh, sorry, you, Bill, Bill Niley, half-naked, not Bill Nye the Science Guy.
2: Hey, why not bring on Bill Nye the Science Guy, too? Because this movie has everybody, their brother and their sister in it. And like Jacqueline said, everyone is looking for love. But did we, the audience, find said emotion? We're about to get into all that today, and helping us do that is... A man who, you know him, you love him. He's a longtime film critic, moderator. He's currently the critic for KTLA Channel 5, which is the news channel here in Los Angeles. He's done so many different things with us at Rotten Tomatoes. He has a new YouTube channel that bears his name. He is the cosmic ball of energy known as... The Mance Man, Scott Mance. Welcome back to the show. How you doing, pal?
3: I am so happy to be here with all of you. Doesn't matter that I'm going to have to get a little grinchy with this particular film because the point is, is that I love a great conversation. I love a great conversation with my friends, my peers, my colleagues, people that I really do love and respect. If love is all around. It's right here on this podcast podcast the love that I have for each and every one of you. So let's just get that, make that clear before I uh, get a little grinchy on this film.
2: Hey, you know what? It's fine if you tip your hand because that's why we have the deck stacked appropriately. This is going to be a two-on-two battle. And to help... One of our sides is our esteemed producer, who we love having on the show each and every week. She is none other than Lucy. Now, Lucy, I'm just looking at our Zoom call here today, and I see in the background a, a festive Christmas tree. It looks like you live in one of those nice London flats that you would see in love, actually. Was that the goal of your interior decorating this season?
4: Um, I was inspired by this movie, yes. I do not live in an expensive London flat. Hi, everybody, by the way. I live in a very old, uh, crusty, cockroach-infested building in Koreatown, but I love it. It's great.
2: Oh, well, don't <laughs> worry, Lucy. I'm sure there's going to be some British man in his approaching his 40s that's going to come by and sweep you off your feet any minute oh. now. Until that ha- And we'll see how that works out with your husband. Until that... <laughs> <laughs> happens. I, I want to stay with you first, Lucy, because if we're going to say Rotten Tomatoes is right or Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, you're the producer of this show. I want to give you the floor here. The tomato meter says that Love actually is a fresh movie. Is Lucy Bruckner in agreement with that statement?
4: I am so behind this score. Rotten Tomatoes is incredibly right this time, you guys. To argue otherwise is nonsensical. It is a fresh film, and it deserves the 64% that it has.
2: (laughs) And now we play tennis right back to Scott Mance. Scott, do you agree with Lucy, Rotten Tomatoes being right, or do you have maybe a different take?
3: Lucy, I love you to pieces. I respect you beyond belief. I respect Jacqueline beyond belief. I, I love and respect Mark Ellis beyond belief. Love, actually, when I first saw this film, When it came out on November fourteenth, two 2003, when this movie was over, I said this movie should be called Love Actually Not. This movie was rotten. (laughs) I hated this movie. It was a good thing that I ate all my popcorn because I had an empty tub that I was ready to vomit into. I hated this movie.
2: Okay, I've been to movie theaters before, and I've taken down a large corn or two, and sometimes I feel like vomiting just because I ate too much popcorn, but at other times the movie can induce that sort of feeling. I'm looking at you, Transformers. So now we're going to go over to Jacqueline Coley. Jacqueline, you know that I have dear love for you. Do you have dear love for Love Actually?
1: I do. But I will say my love for more love actually, though, as much as I appreciate Lucy's undying love, and there are moments when I'm on the Lucy train that like, this is just joyous. Also, I just am going to circle back to why Movie Man hates Christmas because that was some (sighs) Frenchness. How can you (laughs) look at Thomas Brody Sangster drumming his little heart out for that little mixed race child and not fall in love? How? How? I'll anyway, tell listen, you. I listen, will tell listen. you how, Jack You can Scott tell me in a minute. You can tell, tell me in a minute. How
2: later on <laughs> in, in the minute. show, Scott can defend <laughs> his take on all the drummer boys that are on all the stages in Britain. For me, this is why we're all doing this show together is that I have to ally with my brother, Scott Mance here. I don't think that this is a, a... I don't hate this movie the way Scott does. I I actually can find a lot of redeeming value in love, actually. And I can sit down and I can enjoy it. I find a lot of good comedic moments in here. I appreciate the spirit. I like some of the cameos we get to see. But overall, I just do not think that this movie, A, stands the test of time. And I also think that it's not a holiday classic, which is partially why I can get a little grinchy about it. It's not that it's a bad movie, but it's definitely that it's not some sort of classic that your family needs to gather around and watch every holiday season I feel like this movie's just jammed down our throats with those all-time classics with your Christmas carols with your your it's a wonderful lives and I just don't think it's there so basically
1: so, you're saying love actually can't sit with us at the Christmas table so
2: love actually <laughs> you're being if very only,
1: mean girls about if there's its status. only
2: one seat left and that seat was occupied by Tim bless his heart no longer with actually well we do have our own tim on the show so maybe we should throw it to him first not tiny tim who in an alternate reality didn't make it don't worry folks at the end of a christmas carol tim does make it and this tim our own tim ryan expert review curator here at rotten tomatoes made it to this show so tim why don't you tell us what the critics were saying about love actually when it came out was there any popcorn vomiting being spewed back in 2003
0: Thank you, Mark. So Love Actually is at 64% on the Tomato Meter with 221 reviews with a 72% audience score. What's interesting about Love Actually is that it still has a sort of split response from audiences where there's some people who are just like, it is a perennial holiday classic and they just love it. And there's other people who not only don't like it, but think it's aged terribly. But what did the critics have to say about it when it came out? Um, A lot of them who liked it were like, this is charming, this is like cozy, it's got a tinge of melancholy, and the performances are really good. This is a really comfy, well-done romantic comedy. On the other hand, the critics who didn't like it felt like it tried way too hard to be a feel-good movie and ends up just being really saccharine, that the storylines were really jumbled, and that it didn't rise above romantic comedy cliches. So, what did Critics have to say specifically? In a fresh review, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, The movie's only flaw is also a virtue. It's jammed with characters, stories, warmth, and laughs. Until at times, Curtis seems to be working from a checklist of obligatory movie love situations and doesn't want to leave anything out. On the other hand, in a rotten review, Carla Meyer of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote, Love Actually, Curtis's holiday-themed directing debut, abandons any pretext of sophistication for gloppy sentimentality, sugary pop songs, and body humor, an approach that works about half the time. So anyway, is Love Actually the ideal romantic comedy, or is it just another romantic comedy? Uh, I don't know where you fall, but I'll tell you that all I want for Christmas is from Mark and Jacqueline to get along during this episode. It'll be a Christmas miracle. Back to you guys.
2: <laughs> Go to your room, Tim. Your mother and I are fighting right Ooh, now. Oh,
1: wow. But wait a minute. First of all, Tim, when Mommy and Daddy fight, just remember we always love you. But <laughs> But for those for those keeping score at home, just remember on the in the sandwich of love actually, Lucy is on the very 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 far right. Yes. Love 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 love. I am a little left of her with love but questions, because I always have questions. Mark is on the dislike slash love more closer to Scott Mance. And Scott Mance is way over in Siberia with his cold, cold heart. <laughs> this movie. I, just know where, I just want everyone to know where everyone is before we get into it. So I don't think mommy and daddy are going to fight as hard as they think.
3: I, I got to say, Jacqueline, you're absolutely right to point out just how how much we are all coming from very, very different points of view on this movie. We all have a completely different take. And listening to that summation right now of the, of the critics and reading uh, Roger Ebert's uh, very good review in the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, very bad review... I do agree with some of what Roger had to uh, say. I I agree with all of what the San Francisco Chronicle had to say. My goodness. And let's be clear here. We're talking about a film where the Rotten Tomatoes rating uh, is 64%, not 94%, 64%. So even though it is fresh, it is not certified fresh, and it is also just a few points above being Rotten. So it is kind of a mixed review, mixed positive, which is where I guess uh Jacqueline, you are in the film. Yeah. Mixed to positive. I mean I look. think it's and I'm
2: and I'm mixed to negative, and so to borrow a line from one of Scott's favorite movies, Return of the Jedi, it's it's from a certain point of view here. And so I'm looking at this, and I see a 64% of the tomato meter as rotten adjacent, whereas Jacqueline might see it as as fresh, barely fresh, but it's still fresh. So you just leave that barely off. So let's start with the positive though, because I I do find redeeming qualities about this movie, and I can enjoy. If this was a rotten movie, I probably wouldn't think about it as much, and I probably wouldn't have it shoved into my face every holiday season but I don't think that I would hit harbor nearly the resentment that I have because it is fresh though Jacqueline what's a scene for you that, that typifies why this is such a good movie?
1: Well, there's a lot, but I, I do think, and I hate to jump to the end because it's, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic. I definitely want to stop in Laura Linney stomping her feet when she is finally, you know, she's fallen in love with the Carl, the tech guy from her office. Alan Rickman has played matchmaker and she's like dancing and she's like, <laughs> love that, however, the penultimate best moment is definitely the all I want for Christmas with Joanna singing it. There's so much that goes on in this. First of all, Tony Brody, uh, Thomas Brody Sangster learned how to play the drums. Let's also talk about the fact that the girl that plays Joanna, her voice was so good, they had to dumb that stuff down. And when she points at him and he points back with his little drum thingy, Die. Love, love, love. And then like the climax, of course, first of all, Sister, I'm hoping she's the musical teacher, coming with the background vocals to just make it even better. Um, Then at the end, Hugh Grant and his little Monica Lewinsky girl, Natalie, they make out. How can you, if you were mad by that point, I don't understand if you even know Christmas. Right.
0: So not quite as secret as we'd hoped. What do we do now?
3: Smile. A bow. <laughs> Wait a minute. You just know just love. Ha- hang on, just a New York minute, Jacqueline Coley. You know, I, I, I do want to say that that there are a couple things about the film that I actually did like. For me, the storyline. That I loved above all the others by by far, and this would have been just a great movie on its own, was Bill Nye. Uh I thought he was as as Billy Mack, this sort of cross between Mick Jagger and Robert Palmer. Uh I thought he was <laughs> hilarious. I loved the relationship between him and his manager. That to me felt genuine. In a film that was loaded, and I mean loaded to the rim with contrivances and manipulation. I felt like I was being force-fed a spoonful of sugar every minute of this movie, and none of it rang true. Some of it was, back then, I thought, really kind of, I guess, a little creepy, like when you have uh, Andrew Lincoln... Stalking uh, Kara Knightley, y'all that's love. What my they is.
1: love bringing that up.
2: And uh, I just I, think that's, that's what my background is. Today, I see that, that Ellis.
1: Andrew Lincoln is fine, and he was hiding behind a beard in The Walking Dead. So the,
2: the, the Andrew Lincoln, the Andrew Lincoln thing is something that I think we're going to get to later on in the show, just because that is a very hotly contested, debated moment in the movie, and it might be one of those. This is why I think this film is rotten. But Scott did give us a good reason for why you could like the movie, which is Bill Nye alone, Lucy. I mean, this guy, he's in a recording studio. We we meet him early and we get to know who this guy is. And so part of me watching the rest of the movie is like, okay, but can we just go back to Bill? Because I I, (laughs) kind of miss what Bill's doing right now give me another reason lucy or a scene or a storyline why love actually is beloved
4: so guys first and foremost we need to go back to the very beginning and before i tell you what it is that i think really kicks this movie off we need to have a discussion briefly about what types of love there are because when you're asking the question which this movie asks right which is what is love actually right There's actually different types according to ancient Greeks even, right? We've got philia, which is affectionate love. This is love between friends and family. There's eros, which is romantic love. There's mania, which is obsessive love. Cough, cough, Andrew Lincoln, Kara Knightley storyline. And then there's agape, which is selfless love. I have a theory that Richard Curtis literally just Googled types of love and then slotted in different storylines according to each type. I think there's like seven or eight. That's exactly what he did, Lucy. Yeah. and But you know what? I think it's brilliant because when people think of love, they usually just think of Eros, like romantic love. Like this movie isn't about love and this movie sucks and all these horrible things happen. Well, guess what? It actually is about love. And the scene for me that really kind of encapsulates all of that, right, is the very opening start of the movie, which is The airport montage and you're seeing all these potentially i think they're like real people at heathrow airport in london hugging and kissing and reuniting i'm an emotional airport airport goer so it just immediately brings back all those memories for me of when i've reunited with my family and friends after a trip away or visiting my mom back in nebraska when i haven't seen her for two years so it already sets the tone for me emotionally But then it's the voiceover from Hugh Grant, right, who plays the prime minister in the film. And he says this thing, I'm going to just read it really quickly, that I think is brilliant. And I think this is why it's a good film, which is ultimately... You know, we live. he goes, we live in a world of hatred and greed, this terrible British accent, but I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Mothers and sons, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends. When the planes hit the the Twin Towers, most messages weren't of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling that love actually is all around.
2: Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinions starting to make out
3: that we live in a world of hatred and greed, but I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere.
4: Excuse my terrible Hugh Grant- Wait! Shitty
3: impersonation! (laughs) Lucy, Lucy, that was a great Emma Thompson uh, oh, accent. thank you. <laughs>
2: that was actually a, a really good, at least by my standards, it was a great British accent. The problem is that she was doing Hugh Grant's speech, which when the movie kicks off. I love it. I enjoy most of it. I, I want to go back to the time period where this was actually written by Richard Curtis. Because to be fair to him, Lucy, there's no way that he could have Googled love and the different meanings. He probably asked Jeeves back in 2001 <laughs> or 2002. But it's also like, I, I'm i not a huge fan of movies. If you want to make a war movie that's about a war that was 50 or 80 years ago, fine. It, 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 manipulate my emotions like 1917. That's, that, that's, that's fair game. Two years after 9-11, to bring 9-11 up in the opening monologue, in the opening monologue, Montage? Can we just, did we have to go there already? It just, so now I'm already in a weird mood and I, I I like the spirit of this is the airport because I'm a different kind of airport goer. I am the airport sucker and that I'm the guy that will give you a ride to the airport. I'm the guy that will still say yes. I'm the guy that will park the car and pay the fee and then meet you at baggage claim. Instead of just meeting you at the curb and rushing you into my 2020. It doesn't give you tingly feelings. It doesn't give you like
4: warm. Oh, it's just it it, it so... does, but
2: the, the, scene, the scene in this movie that I say, oh, this is why this could have been a great movie is Emma Thompson... But it's not her celebrating love. It's her heart breaking. It's the scene where she is going full Oscar Emma Thompson and she has realized now that her husband might be cheating on her earlier in the day on Christmas Eve. She comes home and her husband is now home and she just reaches into his jacket pocket innocently pulls out what she thinks is going to be a necklace for her later on that evening. And then she sees a present wrapped under the tree and she says, oh, 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 this is probably that thing so then they gather the kiddies around and it's time to open one christmas eve present my family has the same tradition so we're exchanging gifts and that's the one she wants because she wants to prove to herself nay her entire family that alan rickman still loves her and this necklace is going to be a token of that and she opens it up and it's a goddamn Joni mitchell cd Ugh. now she did say she nothing liked nothing Joni mitchell and so mitchell. <laughs> alan rickman did have you know, some feelings toward it because like, hey, I know you like Joni Mitchell, here you go. But she realized in that moment that her husband's eye was drifting, if not other parts of his body. And so she goes into the bedroom and she has a moment by herself to watch her compose herself because this is also an example of love is that she loves her family so much. She doesn't want to break down in front of them and ruin Christmas for the kids. So she sucks it up and she uses her love as strength for the family, at least for the time being. This
0: one. I have, of course, brought to the traditional scarf as well, but this is my other slightly special, personal one. Thank you.
3: That's a real first. Rip it!
0: <laughs> what is <rip> it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm going to it. All right, I'll rip it.
4: God, that's a surprise.
3: What is it?
2: <laughs>
4: it's
0: a CD. Joni Mitchell. Wow. To continue your emotional education.
4: Yes. (laughs) Goodness. That's great.
2: That is a scene to me that I'm like, ooh, ooh, okay, that's really good stuff, but the rest of the film just kind of deviates and and has tropes and, and gets a little cheap at times, which are things that I can buy into in romantic comedy, Scott, but when you're throwing that much at me, it's a little hard to swallow.
3: Okay, first of all, I'm glad you brought up Emma Thompson because to me... She was the only real fully realized complex uh co- real human being in this movie. And and she stayed with him. She did not really let him have it. You know, by the end of the film, they're they're still together. I guess being married is uh, to somebody who doesn't love her. Or it's not faithful to her. is better than than not being married at all, and and you know being true to yourself and finding someone that you actually deserve. Uh, that was a great moment. That was a a real genuine moment. The the moment that I really felt like was really stood out as being real in a in a film that was I think two hours and fifteen minutes full of one contrivance after another. Also, uh, also full of just so many. And I noticed this when I rewatched the movie recently for this, uh, RT is wrong podcast and discovering things about the movie that have not aged well, particularly it's the, the way it has, it is, uh, treated its female characters. So many of them are submissive and, uh, they are not treated well. They're treated like objects. They're marginalized, Uh, Look at the way Hugh Grant, prime minister, on his very first day, he's already hitting on, uh, I, I think the actress's name, Martine McCutcheon. Like the first day, really, and the way that uh, really Colin, quick. I think he hits on all the staff, but, even the guy butler. <laughs> but it's 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 also like like Colin Firth. Oh, but he he has this uh, uh, housekeeper who doesn't speak a word of English. But it's okay. She's hot. She's going to take off her clothes before she jumps in the water. I mean, I couldn't believe just how degrading this movie has has become it, it, over time the way it is Jacqueline do you H-well. see the movie that
2: way that, no! that it's it, it's unfair to its female <laughs> cast many of them who are working for the males that they end Thank up falling you. for
1: yes
3: yes yes
1: by the way first of all I not to bring up a different you know thing <laughs> tale as old as time yes. please like, yes Jacqueline this is what's so crazy it's not that you don't think that this love exists you just don't think it should be glorified in a Christmas movie in the sense of like okay what's up with Laura Linney she's not whatever she's a caring person who's taking care of her brother who's she's a caregiver she's not a doormat and the Natalie character I don't know what you're talking about she is the one that goes after him she's the one that's trying to pursue him she's the one that's like I want he tries to get rid of her twice
3: he tries to he, get rid of her twice. The moment he looks at her, and he walks in the door. He walks in the door. And he's like, whoa, okay. And by the way, what's with all the jokes about Natalie's weight? Why did so many, why were there so many running jokes about how she's plus size? By the way, I that don't disagree with you cool on, that. Yeah.
2: Jack and just, that not on that. Yeah. I don't now the floodgates are we're not open. because. are that. That is that, that if I had to pick a scene, Scott, that I, that really bothers me about this movie, one of the reasons why I find it so off-putting is as a chubby slash fat kid growing up, it this movie almost has a message where uh, if you are in shape. If you have uh if you look good then you deserve love. If you're heavy then hopefully you can trip into it and get lucky somehow. Because Colin Firth shows up to the door of his uh, Portuguese maid's house and the father answers and he says I'm in love with your I want to marry your daughter and the heavier daughter reveals herself and it's like, "Oh no, 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 not that daughter." And It just plays like, oh, okay, because she's not going to deserve it. And the movie tries to pass it off as her and her dad have this running joke about her weight that I just, I, I do not understand the fun in that. And I'm trying to not be too sensitive about this, but it's hard to not when the movie continually reminds you of that. Like, I see no problem with how Natalie looks. I, I don't see, and I, she's not somebody that I would say, oh, let's cast her as the person who needs to lose weight in order to find Hugh Grant. It just, none of that makes sense to me, and the movie keeps reminding you that there's flaws with these people, particularly with these women, and I, I, I don't get it.
0: It's the school Christmas concert you see, David. Uh, it's the first time all the local schools have joined together. Even St. Basil. Too much room. detail, Mum. Uh, anyway,
2: uh, how can we help, sir? Well, I... Just needed Natalie. On some state business. Oh,
3: right, yes, of course. Right. Uh, well, perhaps you should uh, come on later, Plumpy. Uh, Natalie. I, I agree with you completely, Mark. I think you really hit the nail on the head. And, you know, rewatching this movie, uh, obviously, because I didn't like it when I saw it in 2003, and I actually did see it twice. I saw it at a press screening, and then I saw it. Uh, you know, when it opened with a with a woman I I had uh, asked out on a date, she loved the movie. I didn't. We never saw each other again, and I and I have not. Wait, uh,
2: was that because of the movie, or was that because you vomited into your popcorn oh, bucket oh. immediately after the date?
3: Well, I don't think she saw the vomit part because she had gone on, but uh, but you know, we went out to dinner after the movie, you know, and and uh, you know, we were talking about the film, and she was going on on about how much she loved it, and I was going, you know, I'm trying to be like like you know respectful and everything and finally i just could not take it anymore i just said i cannot believe you love that movie that was like the worst movie i've ever seen every romantic comedy cliche that was ever 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 written is all there in one ridiculously contrived manipulative force-fed movie and i wasn't even hungry because i felt like i had eaten so much sugar throughout the throughout the course of that oh but, but, my but scott scott and mark here's the question though
4: yes I just like Jacqueline said, like, we're not pro fat shaming. Are there some misogynistic things and kind of like iffy lady man dynamics in the movie? Yes. But what's the message of the movie? What is love all about? Love is usually found in the small things. There are so many moments in this movie that like the Laura Linney storyline to Jacqueline's point, like she decides to, to sacrifice. A romantic relationship for herself so that she can take care of her brother. And they are two Americans kind of stuck in London. And he's this mentally ill guy. And she decides to care for him, which is like the deepest kind of love, right? The, sa- the self-sacrificial love. That storyline alone, to me, message-wise, like, like, overcomes all the fat shaming and all the problems with it so don't you guys think
2: that it's a great
0: moment
1: hold on on the fat shaming side let's just also say for being the movie that yes she is five ounces above anorexic she's not even even remotely chubby but they're trying to play a game and she does have to be the object of affection so i get it's cast in a certain way however let's be honest this is the same hollywood that called drew barrymore fat for the same body frame that Natalie has. So it's not as if they were particularly, I think, saying that she actually is fat. It's more, this is what people have projected as the
2: ideal thing of beauty.
1: And in the end, she gets arguably the hottest hunk in the gig. So.
2: Right that after her dad the end. reminds her that her nickname is Plumpy, and like, <laughs> <Thank it, you. laughs> there's certain there's there certain storylines that you can look at and say that's what true love is. So Lucy makes a great point. It's the it, Laura Linney caring for her brother. That's awesome. I saw a better version of that in a Super Bowl commercial last year that told us what agape love was. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a nice short message. And I didn't have to sit through a two and a half hour movie that's disguising itself as Christmas. I think that's really the the issue that I have with this film is that it's like it's saying that that Christmas isn't this holiday to be celebrated on its own. It's this holiday to force feed any love fantasy you've ever had in your life and see it to fruition. This movie treats Christmas like it's Valentine's Day. I never looked at Christmas as your last chance to get your true love feelings out. Christmas was a time for me to like see my family and it's like to hang out with with your fam and just like maybe text someone that you think is hot. It's not a time to go running into the street and and go door to door. By the way, you're the prime minister. Look up her address, you weirdo.
0: more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
3: All right, wait, the other thing. Okay, <laughs> to your point, Mr. Mark Ellis, can we talk, okay, you know, I, I have definitely seen on this recent viewing, you know, I, I, was, I was completely shocked and surprised by, by how, how obvious the, the fat shaming sort of came to the fore on this recent viewing also just how the movie really overall i mean not every storyline but overall the movie does paint a degrading depiction towards women and nowhere better is that scene on the chris marshall storyline where he can't meet a girl in London, so he goes to America to get laid because American women are hotter and they're also
0: stupider. I've just worked out why I can never find true love. What's that? English girls. They're stuck up, you see? Then I am primarily attractive to girls who are, you know, cooler, game for a laugh, like American girls. So I should just go to America. I'll get a girlfriend there instantly. What do you think? I think it's crap,
2: Colin. Uh, that's where you're wrong. American girls would seriously dig me with my cute British accent. You don't have a cute British accent. Yes,
0: I do. I'm going to America. Colin, you're a lonely, ugly arsehole. And you must accept it. Never. I am Colin, God of sex. I'm just on the wrong continent, that's all. No, and said, and wait that a minute that was not a minute.
3: his assertion. Wait, hang on, hang on, Jacqueline. The other thing is that if if that doesn't Uh, painted depiction that, boy, Americans are really stupid. And the other thing is that uh, you have a president portrayed by Billy Bob Thornton, who's a royal, (laughs) pardon the expression, asshole, and plays (laughs) to every bad president stereotype in the book. It is an anti-American movie, and it is also an anti-woman movie. So there you go.
1: Lies. Laura Linney, again, one of the best people in the play. Richard Curtis literally could not find anybody better. And he was just like, I want a Laura Linney type. They're like, the casting director's like, get Laura Linney. She's an American. (laughs) She's in the piece. She's fabulous. Joanna, another awesome, literally has the showstopper. She's an American. It's not anti-American. Are there issues, problems with it? Yes. Andrew Lincoln's character is a hot mess and a half for thirsting after his friend's First girlfriend, then fiance, then wife. Like, the moments for him to get off the track on this were, like, way far ahead. However, if I had to say, which I think is the worst part of the movie, it's actually the Alan Rickman stuff. Because, first of all, why is he playing matchmaker and, like, office whore man with that office tart? I don't even know what that actress's name is. I'm sure she's a lovely person, but I hate her. Uh, At we'll the Lucia Moniz, yes. sure she's a lovely lady, despise her in this movie. At the end, when she's prancing around in her underwear with that necklace that she so undeservingly got, all I think to myself is, to quote the famous Nini Leaks: close your legs to married men. Close your legs to married men. Take that necklace, put it down there, and cool your fanny, I'll use the English parlance, <laughs> And stay away from him. It's so gross what she does. She is the character where I'm like, this is is so unbelievable. That and the fact that that kid could learn how to play the drums in three weeks. Jacqueline, you know, to your
4: point, Jacqueline, the thought going on in my head was just like, this is not the Snape I signed up for. I (laughs) I, I am not. I do not like this Snape version. I really don't. And he looks kind of, I don't like, oh, the turtlenecks, like. He, he, but at least
2: you're not supposed to 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 like that character. I mean, Alan Rickman historically played great villains. He, Hans Gruber, um, you know, the Sheriff of Nottingham. He's played awesome bad guys before. And so you buy him in that role. And while I, I think Bill Nye is a great example of why this movie does work, despite your misgivings about the character themselves, because not everybody needs to have strong moral fiber to be someone that you honestly can root for in a movie. The Andrew Lincoln stuff is serial killer-ish to me. The American female stuff where the there, there's, an, there, there's a British dude who just cannot have any luck with ladies in his own country. And so he says, I need to go to America. I need to meet myself, a real cowgirl. So he goes to Wisconsin And as soon as he gets off the plane, he meets four ladies that are just so happy to hop in bed with him and get naked with him in their one-bedroom apartment. Now anytime I have heard any story remotely similar to that from my comedian buddies who've been on the road that is immediately followed with I passed out and they had stolen my wallet, my TV, and my Playstation 4. So I and I hadn't seen this movie in so long that I forgot that it didn't end up like that. That it actually did end happy for that dude. So God bless him. It's such a small minuscule part of the movie that it wouldn't bother me if all these other things didn't add up. It's all these different strands that they're weaving into this tapestry that I don't need any of them to go too deep. But what I would like is more characters to have some sort of redeeming value. Liam Neeson and his stepson, I can root for them. I can root for Laura Linney. I can root for Emma Thompson. And I can certainly root for the scene stealer of this entire film, Mr. Rowan uh-huh. He yes. was directed by Richard Curtis uh, yes. in Bean as far back as Black Adder in Richard Curtis's TV days. So I was very happy to see Rowan Atkinson pop up. I thought he killed it. And according to our expert researcher, Mark Hoffmeyer, Apparently, there was a version of this story early on where Rowan Atkinson was going to keep popping into each story and he was going to be sort of the angel of Christmas. And I do wonder, maybe that would have taken away from the other storylines, but I also wonder if that would have made it feel more Christmassy and less Valentine's Day-y. Because that's what I keep coming back to is I don't understand the correlation between all these stories happening in wintertime necessarily being that of a great Christmas flicks. So I want to start with Lucy, and then I want to go around the panel here, because the broader question of this film, as we get into more talk about the surrounding feelings of the movie, is that this is a film that people either love or they hate. And it's also been described as the McDonald's of romantic comedy. So Lucy, how do you respond to this movie that is so polarizing and could be considered fast food?
4: So Just so you know, I eat McDonald's like once or twice a week. So (laughs) I love it. It's delicious. If you shame me for it, whatever, I don't care. If we want to compare this to McDonald's, if we want to compare Love Actually to this film, fine. It's delicious. It makes a lot of money. It's going to be around forever. And I will love it till I die. But so I did read that, you know, Richard Curtis like really loves Christmas and it's kind of like the secondary thing. So the argument about, you know, is this a good Christmas movie or not for me, it doesn't really matter. Like you could call it a Valentine's day movie. You could call it a Christmas movie for me. It's just a story about love. So I will watch it at any point in the year. It's not just a Christmas flick for me. One of the things I think that shows the power going back to like Mr. Bean, for example, uh, Rowan Atkinson, one of the things and scenes actually that, to me, just shows you kind of how clever and brilliant the movie really is, is Alan Rickman, Mr. Shitball, is looking for some jewelry for his potential side piece, right? And his assistant, and he's at the store with his wife, Emma Thompson, and she's looking for some presents. And then he decides, I'm going to buy this beautiful gold heart necklace. And who's the guy that's going to wrap the gift but Rowan Atkinson? And it's a scene that unfolds where he's trying to hurry and buy the gift so that his wife doesn't see his little infidelitous that's not a word but behavior and Rowan Atkinson is taking his sweet ass time right just could I put some you know you know rose petals in it sir and oh I, you asked for the gift wrapping that whole thing what a brilliant scene because I'm equal parts wanting to die inside and I'm nervous and I'm horrified, but I'm also laughing. To get that kind of emotional duality in a scene is brilliant writing and brilliant performing. Gift round. Uh, yes, ma'am. Lovely.
0: Let me just pop it in the box. There. Look, could we be quite quick? Certainly, sir. Ready in the flashiest of flashes.
4: So, I will watch that any time of year. There are so many moments like that in this movie that just make it really good, actually. Problems aside. So, I'm on the bandwagon that this is a good film.
2: I understand that, and I can like McDonald's, too. I actually might have been to McDonald's last week, ordered spicy McNuggets, only to find out they had already discontinued that delicious menu item. And my heart was broken. Jacqueline, is this movie fast food? And is that a fair criticism of the movie?
1: Uh, No, I don't think it's a fair criticism to call it fast food. It definitely has some qualities where maybe you shouldn't eat it as often. This is what it is with Love Actually. Love Actually is a perfect romantic comedy set in Christmas. But if we're being really honest, Christmas is really more like an overlay. It really is. It's not... The heart of the story, and so I think that's why people like you have an issue with it is its casting as a Christmas movie because, yes, it does have obviously Christmas elements, but. Not to bring up this debate, but if we're really talking about the spirit of Christmas, it's not so much about the romantic love that we see in love. Actually, it is much more about like the love that we see in the smaller moments of it, like the the Laura Linney aspect, and you know the love that you know Liam Neeson's character has for his son for helping him try to win the girl that he wants to be with. So I don't think that it's fast food. There is an article that thankfully Mark Hoffmeyer always keeps us up to date with all the right information. And he told us about, you know, people that have to defend their love for this movie. Because it's, it's one of those issues, as Lucy will probably tell you, not a lot of people are down with it. And if they hate it, they really want to tell you. But it's a pretty perfect romantic comedy. It, that's what it is. And that's the, the part. It's a pretty romantic perfect romantic comedy. comedy. I, it is a piss poor Christmas movie.
2: Okay. Tell them, Jacqueline, okay. get it. I'm listening. And,
1: and romantic comedies are saccharine. They're predictable. They're with weird situations. And originally, it was supposed to be two romantic comedies anyway, one with Colin Firth, one with Hugh Grant. They couldn't make either one of the movies. They shoved it all together. And then they created all of these multilinear storylines for romantic movies that Gary Marshall made a mint out of.
2: You know what, Scott, this movie to me feels like there's a great scene in the big short where the amazing and unfortunately late chef Anthony Bourdain is explaining how the the market got shorted, right? And he's talking about it like making a stew. And so if you have this delicious chicken dish that you made on Wednesday, you can no longer serve that chicken dish by Saturday. However, what you can do is you can chop up that chicken and you can <laughs> dump it into a bucket of stew. And now you have a delicious chicken stew because that chicken wasn't good enough to survive on its own on a plate as the primary meal but nobody's gonna care about chicken that may be past its prime if you just put a big hunk of it into a stew and you give all these other ingredients people aren't gonna notice that the chicken is a little suspect That's how I feel about this movie, and I feel like the hate for this movie has only grown out of other people loving it so much. So I feel like this is a movie that's just fine, but because we continually have this debate every year, those stronger emotions tend to pop up where people either fervently defend it because they feel forced or people fervently hate it because they feel like it's being shoved down their throat. Is that your take on the on the film as well?
3: Okay, well, first of all, uh, you know, in in regards to the movie being fast food, you know, I I respect uh, the McDonald's lovers here. I've always been more of an in and out (laughs) burger kind of guy. Second of all, with regards to Anthony Bourdain describing this as a stew, when it comes to Turning a movie into a stew where you have multi-storylines. Yes, Gary Marshall did capitalize that in more recent years uh, before he passed on. But the ultimate chef with that kind of stew is actually Robert Altman. With his 1975 movie Nashville, he created this multi-character, multi-story, overlapping uh, uh, masterpiece that has been... Uh, uh, has influenced so many filmmakers. Obviously, Richard Curtis. Obviously, Gary Marshall. But also, also uh, Paul Thomas Anderson uh, with Magnolia. And when it's done right, it works. When it's done right, you know the uh, the uh, the connections they they feel right. And this movie, they they don't feel right. They feel they feel contrived. You know, the other thing about Richard Curtis as a writer is I think he is a better writer than he is as a director. He wrote for Weddings at a Funeral. I, I love that movie. I love Bridget Jones's Diary. And also uh, Notting Hill, I loved. And uh, last year, the Beatles movie yesterday, he wrote it, but he did, he did not direct that movie. Um, now, as a director, I don't think he fares as well. I think his shortcomings as a director are, are more prominent in love actually. And also in the film in time, which is a movie I like, but it's not, it's not focused. It's very uneven. It starts off as about, well, time. about time, about time, about time. In Thank
2: time you. is the very, very maligned Justin Timberlake <laughs> futuristic movie. So if I had to take in time versus about time, I am taking the closet time travel movie by Richard Curtis all day and all night.
3: Okay. About time. Yes. Uh, and it, you know, that was a film that, that I liked, uh, uh, but again as a director it was it was unfocused and it turned into something very different in the end so love actually uh, you know his heart is in the right place and again i love him as a writer but uh, i just felt that like this this movie just tried it tried too hard the stew was was uh, full of too much sugar and it just did not go down well and it also it also wait it also has not Aged well, I think, uh, and also with regards to how how Mark you point out how where people are having to defend this movie every year, and other people are are digging their 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 feet into the ground with their stance like the one that I have. I think you know over time, you know when you feel a certain way about something, you get steeper in your convictions. And in the 17 years since Love Actually, uh, my convictions have been steeped and uh, gotten steeper, and have been solidified with this most recent viewing that I had. Uh, I was not wrong in my initial opinion about the film. It has gotten stronger because of elements that have not aged well, particularly its depiction of most of the women in this movie. I think it, it is a terrible romantic comedy, and as far as Christmas movies go, I would rather watch... Eyes Wide Shut all day
2: long than Love Actually again. We went there. It will Love Actually might actually have more nudity than Eyes Wide Shut, Lucy, because I forgot about how much sex is in a movie that feels PG-13, but maybe my biggest issue with this movie is that every year my family wants to sit down and watch Love Actually because my mom and my sister love it, and so you sit down, but you always have that awkward moment where you're watching gratuitous sex and a lot of nudity,
4: and your mom's right there. (laughs) it is awkward i don't to be honest i feel like you could even though i love martin freeman you could just cut that part out because i think they would have made more money because i know that a lot of families watch this film and they have to fast forward through that part so it's kind of like does it add to the story they're it's like they're both cute actors but it's just very um and to your point scott you you mentioned richard curtis's directing i just want to say real quick that's his directorial debut. He did a pretty damn good job because, number one, look at his cast. He got great performances out of people, and that is hard to do as a director. Secondarily, he has some killer transitions in that movie. I know at the the wedding reception, they're playing that one song, and then it bleeds into the funeral uh, when Joanna, the deceased wife of Liam Neeson, you know, is playing that fun song. So little things like that where I think people usually... Um, don't don't think about that in terms of directing, but that's that's hard stuff to think about. So there are moments where he kind of kills it, and I, I'm pretty damn impressed that that's his first movie that he directed. So so and there now <laughs>
2: now I get to ask the question that is going to be equally difficult, whether you love or hate the movie, Jacqueline. Starting with you, what is the one storyline that you think about the most that? that you enjoy the most from Love Actually. Doesn't necessarily have to be the, the most uplifting one, but I'm gonna guess you're sticking with the little drummer boy.
1: No, actually, although I do love that. The, the thing I love most about that is actually Liam Neeson coaching the kid and then the final scene. But the storyline I like the most for like so many reasons is actually the Andrew Lincoln one. Like, I am not gonna lie to you, I live for that for so many reasons. First of all, it's messy as hell and I love mess. Second of all, <laughs> he's one of the finest dudes in the piece. Um, also, it hits on like some interesting weird things about the movie, like the fact that Kira Knightley was like 18 and like two minutes after playing the fake Princess Amidala, and here she is, like as it's supposed to be this like adult marrying Tell Ejiofor, which I don't know what the what the timeline is on that age difference, but it don't feel right. Um, so I'm not about yeah,
2: it. Um, and I was going to say, Scott, have we won Jacqueline over to our side? <laughs> no. Oh.
1: No. But then on the other side, I go back to the scene where she figures out that he's in love with her because it really just plays on his face and like the pictures of Kira Knightley looking very angelic. And that scene is so brilliant because it doesn't do what you expect it to do. You would expect there to be some grand declaration and maybe, oh, you're with the wrong person and I love you. No, it's very much, he's like, oh no, this is bad. This is gonna be so bad. I need to run away from this. Oh, maybe I need to come back to this. Nope, definitely run away. Also, Keira Knightley, reason why she has a hat on in the scene, she had a spot, also known as a pimple. And if you look at the scene of her in the boat, like driving away, you can actually see the pimple. (laughs) They filmed it later. And so it's like a whole thing. And so like just rewatch that scene. Also, um, you realize that Andrew Lincoln's character is an artist. And I'm pretty sure, although I'm not positive, I think I've heard this somewhere. The art that's on display at Alan Rickman's office is his art. Because he Look shows those that. little Santa nipples. Which, personally for me, what doesn't say Christmas like Santa nipples?
2: I thought that was very funny. When when he just yelling at the kids that it's art. Andrew Lincoln's yelling at the kids, laughing yeah. at the butts that yeah. it's art. And, yeah. and Scott, I guess we got off lucky here. I'm sure there was some big... Uh, a pimple-shaming scene that Richard Curtis thankfully cut from the finished version of the film. If I have to give you, Scott Mance, a guy historically not known for Loving Love Actually, your favorite storyline, which one did you resonate most with?
3: Well, I, I said this at the top, uh, You know, the story that I love the most is Bill Nighy as the 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 aging rock star who was a cross between Mick Jagger and Robert Palmer. I thought the storyline with his manager who has stuck with him through thick and thin. I love that it's a that it's a true love story between two almost like lifelong friends who have been there for each other and had each other's backs. It is different from all of the other love stories in the film and it was the one that resonated to me the most that they're both sort of alone on Christmas and Bill Nye leaves Elton John's party to go spend it with his manager. And I just thought it was very touching uh, that, that moment uh, I would love to just have seen just a movie. You know, Bill Nye is uh, he's a great actor when he does comedy like this and about time, about time. And also when he does drama, he's a, a superb actor.
2: See, for me, it it very easily could have been that Bill Nye manager storyline because Bill Nye's manager is in the film throughout and he also gets made fun of for being heavy. And then Bill Nye does show up, like Scott said, at his door to celebrate Christmas with him because he knows he's alone. I just feel like that scene was so mishandled. I I was ready rewatching it to have this great love moment, but it just gets to this weird thing where it's like, wait, wait, are these guys going to make out? Is this, is, is Bill Nye even supposed to, did, 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 is he here on purpose? It just didn't seem like, like I wanted Bill to say, I love, like, I, I wanted it to be this sweeping Christmas emotion and it just kind of felt like, well, I guess we're here. Let's get drunk and watch porn. <laughs> and it just didn't quite yeah. work the way that, I guess in my head, maybe trained from all the other storylines in the movie that it was going to work. And so I'm going to say that it actually is the, Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson storyline, because I want to see that full movie. I want to see more Rowan Atkinson. And I also want to see the end of the film In my cut, which is where everybody's at the airport and we're wrapping up all these storylines and Al Rickman shows back up after a month being away wherever he was. His kids are happy to see him. Emma Thompson gives him the cold shoulder. Then I want some rom-com hunk to show up. I want Morris Chestnut to show up (laughs) right next to Emma Thompson, put his arm around her and say, hey, I'm the stepdad. That's what I I want Emma Thompson to leave this movie happier than she did Lucy. That's my storyline. What's yours? If you had to pick one.
4: So I'm glad you guys both brought up the Emma Thompson and the Bill Nye because you know for me it's tied with three and you guys already brought up those two. It's the three storylines that make me weep bitterly, sometimes sort of happy, but um, tears. I watched it again a couple nights ago. And I could not stop crying because of the Emma Thompson, Ellen Rickman scene, the heartbreak there and the way she holds in the emotion to go back out and kind of be like, everything's fine. Status quo. Like, that's so real. Like, I've had those moments where it's like, yes, I was just crying in the closet. Now I'm out and everything's fine. I'm going to just shove it down. Status quo. So and then Bill Nye, when Joe, the manager, when his his chin is quivering, when when the love of his life comes back, the deep friendship there. But I think for me, the number one beautiful and heartbreaking scene, that's my favorite storyline, is the Laura Linney storyline. Because you really want her to get with uh, Santoro. Uh, I forget his name in the movie, but her very attractive coworker, who they clearly really care for each other. And she... Um, you know, there's a scene where they're getting intimate and she keeps answering the phone. It's like, girlfriend, stop. Please stop answering that phone. Just like make it happen with this guy. And I, you know, personally speaking, you know, I have, you know, family members, right, who are mentally ill that I have that experience of like, you just got to answer the phone. So it was so real for me. And then the end scene of her sitting there, sorry to, I don't want to bring the mood down, but the end scene of her sitting with her brother who has this illness and she's made him a scarf and they're just staring at each other and they love each other and then they hug each other. It's just like that storyline alone, all the other crap, the fat shaming, the, the, the sometimes poor treatment of women in this film, that alone to me redeems it all. Because it's so powerful, it is self sacrificial love. she chooses her brother and taking care of him and his feelings over her own, and to me, not only does that encapsulate the Christmas spirit but encapsulate what love is actually
3: oh <laughs> wow, well, having
2: been a Perfect way to end the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) However, (laughs) you can say it's powerful. You can say it's manipulative and people (laughs) will say whatever they want about this film until the end of time. But, Scott, much to your chagrin, I imagine, this is going to be one of those films that continually is talked about, especially at this season, year after year, decade after decade, Jacqueline.
1: I just have one thing. Because I want to know, I want to, because I think that the like naysayers on this episode, y'all got the better of us, not because you're right, but more because it's kind of hard to just be like, but I love it. But if you need further evidence, there was a literal internet riot. People were petitioning and calling people because Netflix took Love Actually off of its platform on December 1st and people in the UK lost their collective minds. Mm. So yes. anything that can inspire that level of like, we can't have it. I mean they're they're literally like like drug addicts and they're all now like going through withdrawals. Like they were literally upset. You can find the article. Mark Hoffmeyer gave it to me. It's legitimately people were like, I guess there's a thing in Britain where you can like report issues with broadcasting. And it's like the same thing they did to report the fact that they didn't like, you know, that the Super Bowl like shows Janet Jackson's nipples like the British version of that.
3: (laughs) Hundreds of letters about Love Actually. There is something to be said. There is something to be said about a movie that year after year gets brought up and talked about. Jacqueline, if, if there are people who were so incensed that it was taken off Netflix that they protested. That says something, I mean, my personal feelings aside, the fact that a movie can inspire and touch people so deeply, and that, Mark, we can have a conversation like this, that, Lucy, you can refer to a movie as brilliant three (laughs) times in one (laughs) sentence. There is something to be said about that film, about any film that can inspire people like that. Personal feelings aside... Uh, I love that a movie can, year after year, can can instill this kind of passion and debate because that is what movies are yes. all about. Yes.
2: And to all, a good night. You know what? You can actually you can find this movie uh, if you are worried about where you can stream it. It's on Fandango Now and Vudu, currently available on both those platforms. I do have a quick bit of Love Actually trivia that I want to get to at the end. But first, Scott Mance, you and Lucy, we're both our esteemed guests today. Producer Lucy, she wore her producer hat valiantly, but she also was an amazing guest. So I want to get a streaming recommendation from each one of you. Something else, maybe, that's not Love Actually, but you think could accomplish what Love Actually is set to do better. Scott, do you have a oh. streaming recommendation for all the kitties listening?
3: Well, uh, I I don't know if it's streaming, um, but it is, you know, on demand. You can uh, rent it from iTunes. It's only two or bu- uh, three that bucks. Counts. Uh, that counts. That, that's in the stream. Uh, okay. Uh, Elf. Elf. Elf, to me, is the best holiday movie of the 21st century, uh, directed by John Favreau and starring, uh, obviously, Will Ferrell. It is such a wonderful Heartfelt, funny, crowd-pleasing movie for the entire family—kids, grown-ups. It is. It was an instant classic when it came out, ladies and gentlemen. The same year as *Love Actually*, 2003. It is a classic in every sense of the word. I love, love, love that movie. If you can't find it on, like, you know, like the Netflixes and Amazons and Hulus of the world, rent it. buy Get the Blu ray, it's it's a it's a brilliant movie, Lucy. Yeah. How dare Elf you? Elf crushed <laughs> that year. And
2: the basically Love actually had to go up against Elf, The Matrix, Revolutions, I think, Master and Commander, Bad Santa. It had a lot of competition when it was released in early November, but it just kept chuglin So it was a modest hit <laughs> at the time. And now it's just this this monster thing that we all talk about. Lucy, do you have a uh, streaming recommendation that can give yes. the kids some love? Actually, feels? oh, I
4: do. Also, I love your usage of the word chuglin. That was that was cute. I
2: feel like <laughs> me and John Fogerty the only ones that still use chuglin. So
4: <laughs> I like. Let's bring it back. Um, yes. Okay. So I just started watching The Walking Dead. So. Um, Jacqueline, to your <laughs> awesome scene. I also agree with you about that storyline. Uh, Andrew Lincoln. Woo. Woo. Yeah. Watch him fight some zombies. Finally got on that train. So I'm in season three.
1: And. Oh. Lucy, the- let me just give you a What's little gonna bit happen? of advice on that. What? Uh, nothing. 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 First of all, good that you're on The Walking Dead. Yeah. There's going to be a point where you're like, no. Actually, there's going to be several points mm-hmm. where you're like, No. Mm-hmm push
2: through. Like, okay. push
1: through the pain. Okay. Push through the pain. Okay. And you'll know it when you get there. Trust I mean, I'm Trust invested, us. man. So, hopefully. I'm giving
2: you the opposite advice. I, if you're on season three, I am grabbing your cheeks like Billy Madison grabbed those kids' cheeks and said, stay here as long as <laughs> <No>! you can.
4: <laughs> I'm gonna push, guys. I'm gonna push through. The other streaming... Thank you for that advice, by the way. I do appreciate that. Um, The other show that I just finished, I binged it in, like, two nights, The Morning Show. Speaking of problems uh not not the show that the show's amazing but it deals with all sorts of stuff uh and specifically i'm an absolute awe of billy crudup crudup and his performance in that show so if you've not seen it get apple subscription stuff i know it's one more just just do it just trust me guys
2: it's All amazing. right, I promised everyone a little bit of Love Actually trivia. Yes. Much to Scott Mance's chagrin, this is not going to be a movie release dates question, Scott, so it might be a little outside of your expert zone. Uh-oh. i are going to start with you, and then we're going to get a, a guess from Jacqueline and from Lucy and everybody else listening. Just shout it, whether you're listening to us at the gym, in your car, wherever you are on the toilet. Shout <laughs> out what you think the correct answer is. Which character in Love Actually has the most amount of screen time. Laura Linney. There's there's only two characters that have over 30 minutes, and this person has 32. The silver medalist has 31 minutes. So Lucy says Laura Linney. Scott Mance says Hugh Grant. Jacqueline Coley, your guess. Hmm
3: uh Uh this is hard hold on let me think let me think let me (laughs) think let me think
1: shut the flip up because i'm competitive and so i at least want to think about it if i'm going to have a wrong answer i at least want to feel like i thought about it i'm gonna actually say god i feel it's either laura linney or hugh grant
2: laura linney what just under the buzzer jacqueline guesses laura linney everyone is wrong the answer is emma thompson with 32 ah, minutes of screen time wow. hugh grant has 31 minutes oh, hugh grant of was my second time. was my second so was my everybody second everybody was oh so oh. close and i'll say for this episode today it was a lovely spirited healthy debate (laughs) and it ended up being a battle of the sexes and much like the movie itself, the men won because they were right. So, (laughs) with that being said,
1: Mark, you I give me a definition of mansplaining, too, because I don't think I know
2: that either. <laughs> you want to give me
1: that quick definition?
2: I am not going to win that fight. So I'm simply going to remind everyone that Scott Mance has a YouTube channel that you can just go to YouTube and search Scott Mance and he's going to pop up. Scott, I know you're a big Beatles honk, and I'm sorry that this movie wasn't all you need, Love Actually, but what can you tell us about the other cool stuff you're working on?
3: Well, uh, like you pointed out, so I got my YouTube channel, which is just Scott Mance. I'm doing my own film content, which I learned how to do this year. So uh, something good came out of this year. And yes, if you live in the uh, Southern California area, you can catch me on Friday mornings on KTLA. TV Channel 5, their Emmy winning morning broadcast. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, it is so great to talk movies with you on Rotten Tomatoes. I am a big Rotten Tomatoes fan. I miss seeing you in person, Jacqueline. I miss, I definitely miss seeing you at Toronto, at Telluride, at Sundance. And I really hope we can get back to doing these in theater meetups again really soon when it is safe. In the meantime, be safe and happy holidays and happy new year to all of you. Happy, New, Happy Year. New
2: Year to you, Scott. You, you literally are, you, you see so many movies where it has the embodiment of the Christmas spirit. You are the film celebration spirit. Every time we go to a screening, we're lucky enough to get invited to a cool event, usually the ones that you are hosting and moderating panels. And you just light up the room. You make everybody feel like a million bucks. Last question for you real quick, Scott, because I know you are a big Beatles fan. It's the Christmas season. Which Christmas Beatle tune is better? Is it Paul McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time? Or is it John Lennon's Happy Xmas War is Over?
3: Okay, well, 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 that is a great question, Mark Ellis. Now, I've always been a bigger McCartney fan, but I'm going to give the edge here to Happy Christmas. War is Over by John and Yoko. It's a better song. But having said that, I do love Wonderful Christmas Time. I was at the grocery store the other day and it came on. And, uh, you know, there I am in a grocery store wearing a mask, shopping, trying to get in and out of there. And it did bring a smile under my mask. When I heard Paul McCartney's <laughs> "Wonderful Christmas
2: Time," can't stand the "Wonderful Christmas" one. <laughs> love "Happy Xmas" war is over, so I'm going with John on this one. For everyone here, our hardworking crew behind the scenes, our producer who is now a star of the show, Lucy Bruckner, and my esteemed co-host Jacqueline Coley. We love hearing from you. Tell us what you love about this episode. Tell us your feelings on "Love Actually," and of course, let us know future episodes that you want to hear us base. Which movies should we be talking about that are fresh that you think should be rotten or rotten movies that you love? Email us anytime. RT is wrong at rotten tomatoes.com. You can find Jacqueline Coley at that Jacqueline. I am at Mark Ellis Live. Got a big New Year's Eve show coming up doing virtual stand-up you can get tickets for so you can watch me from your living room. Jacqueline, next week, we had promised the kids something this week and we finally get to deliver on that promise next week.
1: Yes. And we're going to connect this little switcheroo through Mariah Carey because as we end Love Actually, Joanna sings, all I want for Christmas is you. And then the Grinch who stole Christmas gets the Faith Hill song that was actually written by
2: Mariah Carey
1: because that woman has secured the Christmas bag in perpetuity.
2: I love that. I I was doing some Googling, and I saw that Mariah Carey has probably made upwards of $70 million in royalties off of All I Want for Christmas is You. All we want for Christmas is everyone to stay safe out there, enjoy the season of giving, whether you love actually or whether you hate love actually. We appreciate you enjoying this podcast. Click like uh, wherever you're able to. Rate, review, all that good stuff. And like Jacqueline said, we'll see you all next week for How the Grinch stole Christmas. I'm Mark Ellis for everyone here. We'll talk to you next week.